Okay, so a history of violence flowing from a history of trauma. And then I talk about uh, currently uh, in the Cats book, it almost, uh, it really does, it's weird though that it's trauma. So he actually talked about not being in touch with your body because of trauma or not being able to live in the present because of trauma. Makes 100% sense why the psychedelics would have worked. Um, because you look at alpha, theta, uh, brainwave, neural feedback, uh, the kid. Uh, he had a young little lad that when he first did drawings, he was completely out of touch, very childish. And within 20 neural feedback sessions, the kid had actually been able to manage his uh, behavioral problems. And he was drawing a much more complicated, right, 20 sessions, um, 10, to 20 weeks, 40 sessions in total. And he was no longer a behavioral problem. Now he's talking about learning disabilities, right, that you can deal with your issues, trauma, uh, but you're still left with deficiencies because you weren't able to learn. Talking about, uh, and so I've something I've just ran into myself. Uh, so it, I feel that it's, um, well, uh, it's just finished. So stuck <clears throat> on trying to figure out how you would prove that activating the HT2A serotonin receptor isn't like a god uh, receptor. It's just mankind struggling to define uh, what it is they were experiencing. Because again, if we look at the alpha-theta states or advanced meditation, I'll liken this here. Um, there was a test of um, uh, rocket fuel because it supposedly gave seizures and hallucinations. Uh, they tested cats without experience with neurofeedback. And it sounds weird. You wouldn't believe it. But he trained cats to get into this state of awareness right anticipating food but the state of awareness mindfulness maybe uh, and the cats that had been trained in this neurofeedback um, protocol right uh, actually didn't uh, experience any of the hallucinations or the seizures associated with the jet fuel so I argue as a young lad because I spent a large chunk of time studying the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the Bardo Fidul, or the natural liberation in the between states. These between states are these alpha, theta, the awake state of beta, right? So this idea of studying the nature of self might be why it's not uncommon, like for myself, I didn't experience hallucinations like a lot of individuals did. I took large doses even, didn't experience these hallucinations. I always likened it to just this understanding this different uh, ability, never had any negative uh, trips per se. I likened it to just, you know, uh, strength of mind or will. Now it's starting to look like, based on those tests, that it, it could 100% be just this uh, training state. So I posit we can pretty much prove that this is a fact because it connects to that book I'm reading about the, the mind, the body keeps the score, relates to Gabor Mate's book about uh, uh, the hungry ghost, I believe, um, the title, we can go through that in notes. But I believe we can already see it uh, because an example study for trauma, which I argue is very similar, because I posit that the caveman consumed the mushrooms either for food or just out of experimentation. He either had a positive a low dose experience or experienced a high dose um, uh, trip that encouraged him to repeat it. 
Uh, and the reason why, again, I hypothesize, based on these studies, I hypothesize that we were so traumatized, and my joke was always about the saber-toothed tiger, we were so uh, at this ready state, this constant, and these are these high hertz beta states, right, on high alert for danger, even when there's no danger at hand, post-traumatic stress. You add in these mushrooms, and all of a sudden the caveman was actually able to live in the present, was able to experience um, each other and empathy, and just break away from that state of constant um, alarm and danger. And that change alone is what produces this growth, as can be seen in the neural feedback. Right? Because once you learn how to uh, manage these brain waves, you no longer have the same outcome. Because the example that the doctor gave was a gentleman when he got in a fight with his, his spouse, he'd go out and cheat on her. And after uh, several sessions of neural feedback, he actually chose to go fishing instead. If you think about it, it's actually much more of a relaxed state. This idea that post-traumatic stress or brain waves are just different than others. And I posit that, of course, to the cavemen, these would seem like metaphysical. So some of them might have achieved uh, hallucinations and they may have seemed real. Again, I posit it's because the lack of the tools to explain what the experience was. And what I mean by that is, there was a study about the trauma, and I think they were studying rapid eye movement, and I can actually use the rapid eye movement as an example of how science is not seeing all the way through. Again, we need the data, but they're not seeing all the way. So we're using rapid eye movement, why? Because yes, a lot of traumatized individuals are so detached from their physical experience, by using the eyes, you can feel your eyes moving and you're moving them and, you know, the whole world is... So it is a very, very, uh, what would you call that, um, um, a tactile and immediate uh, response. But I posit we have a much greater history of ritual, ceremony. So uh, mantras, mudras, malas, prayer beads, chanting, um, uh, symbols or... Um, like uh, mandalas, right? These complex geometric patterns, right? To tie the mind, it's like a Zen idea, right? The idea is to see past our misperception. I love how a Canadian quantum physicist once said, it's likely we're all operating on failed assumptions. And I think that's the beauty of it. I liken it to uh, individuals who speak multiple languages. You just have a sense of doubt in whatever you perceive. So if you notice, People who speak multiple languages, they actually seem less likely to get um, excited, uh, overly excited, right? Here's this idea of trauma, right? You can either not feel or be overly reactive. You can see people who are either non-reactive or, you know, overreactive. But then what I, I posit is these individuals that speak multiple languages, you can see within them. Because what they hear, they may have misheard because, again, it might be one language, it might be another. You find them a little less reactive. I think we can see this now where I began trying to prove, uh, not prove, but try to figure out how we would prove that um, the activation of that um, HT2A uh, serotonin receptor is um, strictly a natural fact. It's a change of state. It's an intense change of state. But... We talked about this, it's possible that it can be done through meditation, chemical means, 
uh, and otherwise, right? Neural feedback is an example, whether that's just meditation, mindfulness, or a different process, doesn't matter. We can actually achieve it. So that's why I use the example of this trauma research. And what they did to compare the rapid eye movement is one group, they just shared regular, you know, best practices like you'd get off of a, you know, uh, a magazine article. And the other group, they actually shared the benefits of this um, EMDR, right? I, I believe that's, but don't quote me on this. Uh, and I posit that actually we could do the exact same thing, right? And as I said, science is too fixated on the eyes to realize that, yes, as Buddhists, we use mala for the exact same reason. We use chanting, we use uh, uh, mantra in the same sort of way. I posit that we can see the exact same thing uh, from this study that we could uh, see in existing studies, like I said before, look for any mention of being spiritual or not, and looking at the time and place that the research was done and get an idea of the prevailing, prevailing belief system. You can get an idea based on the responses. But we can also take it one step further, because I think we've proven the fact that this might be the case. We can take it one step further and prove that it isn't an actual divine experience people are having. It's it's a, an inability to explain the experience. And so we default to kind of a metaphysical sort of explanation, right? So we can use the same trauma study, the same uh, modus operandi. So we could just have two people, two groups, well, probably four groups, right? Placebo um, and actual active. So four groups, two of the groups would get instructions about how to explain something that seems different than what you're used to. But give them the tools to be able to explain this. Right? As opposed to um, leaving them to their own devices and just seeing how many default to a religious uh, type of experience. Right? And so that's why um, initially, and this is what happened, I spent all that time trying to figure out how we would prove this for the psychedelics. And in the meantime, it was only part of my healing. I came to a point where I realized I'm not going to come to an answer here. I'm not a scientist. I'm just a patient. But what stuck with me was what a, how negative I seemed when it came to Trilevin's uh, trauma, um, what do you call it, trauma-informed mindfulness. Because even yesterday, there was a, a quote in a group. It was a little quiz. It was cute. But it was a little quiz. And they asked um, about mindfulness and the benefits of mindfulness. And, and one of the questions was like, what, what is not one of the things that you can get from meditation or something, and stress. And of course, I had to point out that, well, if you go into meditation or mindfulness, traumatized. Stress is one of the things that can come with it. And then they realized it too. And they're like, oh, geez, yeah, you're right. We tend to forget this. So again, I go back uh, to all of the trauma books related directly to meditation and mindfulness. And I found them all very wanting. So what I did next was to go look for some of the most um, highly rated 
books on trauma, period. And here, once again, uh, I might find myself being biased, but I find some of the greatest healers are doctors, not psychiatrists or psychologists. Because an example I'll give is this doctor, this book that I'm reading, he's just an MD. He's been studying trauma for decades, half uh, a century at this point, I believe. One of the first before there was even a C, uh, before there was even a PTSD um, diagnosis or a term. Um, I find uh, they seem to be the most insightful when it comes to this healing because, again, they're rooted in the solution, especially this doctor. He said he was shocked with the amount of energy that doctors were putting in to managing psychiatric patients' outbursts instead of looking for a solution uh, to uh, the problems they're having, right? Manage uh, their symptoms uh, and minimize their... Well, you know what I mean, right? Treat the disease, not the symptoms, right? So here I was reading this book and literally just as um, two examples that we may have discussed, uh, the first is Wim Hof, 100%. He talks about this, how someone shuts down or goes to an extreme. So he's taken pranayama, something that really could help him based on science, some breathing, you know, diaphragmatic breathing and meditation and being calm. But he's taken it to an extreme to the point where, you know, people can be injured, right? Because, again, he's having an overreaction. He's not having a proper reaction to, in this case, trauma, the death of his spouse. Another individual is Jordan Peterson. And it surprised me to have the doctor who has written this book. This book is uh, six years old now. So this was common knowledge in the last six years. So we have Jordan Peterson, who at the death of his spouse went on benzodiazepines and for an extended period of time. Everyone's talking about the fact that it was pretty dumb for someone in his profession to take them for that long. But you know what's even dumber? It is 100% known that to take them would make the trauma worse because all you're doing is numbing yourself. You're not going to heal. And so it makes 100% sense that after 20 years on these benzos, which can cause problems, denying, ignoring, suppressing his actual trauma, allowing it to manifest as an autoimmune disease that he now says he can cure with yet more extreme behavior, the carnivore diet, yet never once has someone chastised him for making such an abhorrent choice to completely suppress his trauma with a known negative outcome, long-term drug, well, a drug of any kind, let's be honest. And in the end, it's caused no end to suffering. And yet he portends to be a healing guru. He would be if he would have just admit his mistake and begin healing so that he can help others to begin healing. Right? And I posit that's what we've probably run into. If you look at uh, shamanism, pulling... Uh, entheogens away from the, the greater public so that they control this healing, this insight, and maybe even direct this verbiage that leads us to believe that it's some sort of a divine um, experience. I posit it is none of the sort. It is, as I said, strictly um, a different experience. It changes state so extreme 
that we struggle to explain it. And in that struggle, we default to these um, metaphysic godlike, you know, infinite kind of jests. I liken it to Nietzsche and the Ubermensch. This idea that the gods were were images of our our, our potential. Well, neither here nor there. I'm yammering on. It's supposed to be just a voice note. Here it went to no end. But long story short, uh, I've been thinking this for a long time. I think, uh, like I opened up, mankind is a history of violence that can be traced to a history of trauma.